Welcome to The Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we continue to hear the teaching of Jesus to his disciples in John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus starts out here with our eighth I am statement in the gospel. I am the true vine. And the Father is the vine dresser. So Jesus describes himself as the plant, and God the Father as the one who cares for the plant and make sure to help it be abundantly fruitful as he tends to it. 
the picture here is is quite simple, although maybe the the wording is a little bit tricky. Um, and just as you stumble through it in English, the way it is written for us. Picture a fruit tree. This is a, a good way to, to focus on this with your kids, too. Picture a fruit tree, maybe an apple tree, or if you have a, a kind of fruit tree, picture that. A berry bush, blueberry bush, a, a grapevine, whatever it is you want. Uh, the grapevine is particularly what Jesus might be referencing here. So we'll stick with the grapevine. If you cut a branch off of the grapevine, that branch that's now in your hand, would we call it alive or dead? We'd call it dead. Is that branch going to produce any grapes? No, it's it's got no food, nourishment coming into it. It's cut off. It's done. And so it is with faith. If we are apart from Christ, who is the vine, so if we are cut off from Christ the vine, we're dead. We have nothing. We cannot produce good fruit. We cannot do good works. If we wish to do good works, if we want to be part of the the family, we are to abide in Jesus, remain in the vine. He will feed us. He will nourish us as we know he does with his word. We know he does with his sacraments. The Father will come along as the vine dresser, and those who are not doing good works, those who are not showing that they're actually producing good fruit, they're cut off. John the Baptist warned about this at the start of his ministry when he said, even now the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, that they would be cut down and thrown into the fire. And so those dead branches that the Father has pruned, cut off, are cast into the fire. Now, you're looking at that from two perspectives that we can do it, I think, as well. The idea of being pruned. When you think of just a branch being pruned, and so that's thinking about individually just me or just you, one of us. We're pruned. That is, we suffer. We're, we're afflicted in this world. On account of Christ, as the text will talk about later, Jesus will bring up again, in order that we would bear more fruit. This is Romans 5, as Paul talks about suffering, and suffering produces endurance and character and perseverance and hope. This is First Peter who talks about how suffering is a gracious gift from God, and that through our suffering we can bear witness to the faith that we have in Christ and the hope that is in us, chapter 3, verse 15. And so it is that by suffering in this world, by, by being pruned, the, the Lord giving us trials and allowing us to endure tribulation, our faith is strengthened because in that tribulation, where do we turn? We turn to Jesus. We abide in his word. We trust in him. We pray to him to bring us through. And perhaps that's the best way to take these prayer sections in today's chapter, chapter 15, that you would ask in Jesus' name, that you would ask whatever you wish it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified. That you bear fruit. We don't ask for ourselves. I talked about that yesterday. But the asking is for the kingdom. The asking is that the Father would be lifted up and that whether I suffer long or short, the Lord would use it for the good of his kingdom. That if I am afflicted with cancer, instead of moaning and saying, oh, woe is me, that as I lay in a hospital bed, I'm sharing Christ with the nurses and the doctors. And when they wonder why I can have such a positive 
expression, why I can still be kind and, and generous toward them when I'm suffering so greatly, to be able to share with them the hope that is in me, that I know that even if this illness leads to death, I get to be with Christ in paradise forevermore. And if this illness doesn't lead to death, if the Lord grants me healing and lets me live, then I have more days to serve him here in this place. It's a very different way of going about living than what the world does, and that also is a discussion coming up later in the text. Let's see, what, what is there that maybe we didn't cover in kind of unpacking it that way? Uh, the branches are thrown into a fire. That's a reference to hell. So those that are cut off, those who do not serve Christ, those who do not abide in his love and remain in his word, and so forth. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And it's unconditional. It's an inviting love as he invites us to be part of his kingdom and do the work of his kingdom. And I think that's a fantastic family conversation to have. Ask your kids, how do you feel knowing that God has invited you to help him build his kingdom? I mean, talk about purpose. The last couple of generations, the children growing up have, have not known what their purpose in life is. America teaches it's to be happy. That's not it. Our purpose in life is to help God build a kingdom. That means something. And I can have bad days and still be working at helping the Lord build his kingdom. Admittedly, he doesn't need my help. Again, this is an inviting love that he has invited us to partake in this. We cannot do good works apart from the vine, uh, apart from Christ. That's verse 4. I forgot to mention that one. Jesus has said all of this so that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be full. Joy is a treasure. So Jesus looks at us and he sees his treasure. We are elsewhere called his prized possession. And we, our treasure is full because Christ is our treasure and we have life in its fullness in Christ. Monday Thursday's conversation, the new commandment, mandatum novum, uh, from chapter 13 is repeated here. The new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus expounds on that. No greater love is there than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did for us. It's what he calls us to do for one another. This is the call of a husband in marriage to lay down his life for his wife. Almost got that backwards. It's not about my interests or my wants. It's about serving my bride. As Christ came, not that we, the church, his bride would serve him, but that he would serve us and give his life for us. Ephesians 5 is a profound text. I know our culture hates it, verses 22 to 33, but it is profound and teaching us self-sacrificing love. Men, this is who we are to follow Christ. He calls them friends, not servants. The master doesn't let the servant know everything about the father's business. There are secrets, things they don't need to know. But we're not servants anymore. Jesus calls his disciples his friends because they know they know the master's business. Jesus has shown them 
He has revealed all things to them. By all things, I mean all things necessary to know for salvation. The plan has been made known. You did not choose me, but I chose you. It is an important reminder. We don't come to faith on our own accord. Yes, we have the great uh, way of phrasing it by Luther in the third article of the Apostles' Creed in the small catechism. I cannot by my own reason or strength. But, I mean, it's generally true anyway. The catechism is a simple reflection of the Bible's prominent truths. Jesus chose us. And so we rejoice that we are part of his family. And what's he chosen us for? That we should go and bear fruit. That we would help him build the kingdom. And again, we're asking the Father not just for anything, but so that we would bear fruit. And he'll give it to us. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Again, Jesus' new commandment to us. Seen throughout the New Testament after that. Having just spoken about love, he shifts gears to hate. In the next paragraph, verse 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If, conditional, maybe the world will hate you. No, look at verse 19, therefore the world hates you. So yes, he started a conditional, but he firms it up. He's getting them to listen, and then he teaches them the truth. And the truth is the world will hate you. So why does it hate you? Well, who do you follow? Oh, Christian, you follow Jesus. And the world hated Jesus, so the world's going to hate you. The servant is not greater than his master. If we were instead of the world, and doing the stuff the world loves, the world would love us. If I were going about my life trying to be happy all the time, the world would think, oh yeah, look, look, look at that guy, he's great. It's not our goal. As we live for his kingdom, as we go around in our community and try and share the love of Christ with people, there are some who will hear it, that are grafted into the vine and we rejoice. But there are others who will respond to that with anger, hatred, insults, all sorts of forms of persecution that exist in this world. So, a servant is not greater than his master. A reminder from chapter 13 again. The world hates you. And this is a spot for another family conversation. Especially for older kids. Why do we so desperately want the world to love us? I mean, think about it. That's what peer pressure is, right? We want people to like us. We want to be accepted by the world. We want the world to be okay with whatever it is we're doing. They're not going to be. Jesus, our Lord, our Master, just said it. They will hate us. They will not be okay with what we do. They're not going to be okay with what we teach our kids. They'll despise it and they'll try to stop it. Because it flies in the face of who they want to be, the rebellion they want to fight. 
The flip side, if they had kept my word, they would keep yours also. So those who are faithful, those who hear the word, well, they won't hate us because they'll be us and we will love one another. But those who persecuted Jesus will also persecute us. So those who hate him, blaspheme his name, they're not going to take it easy on his people, those who try to wear his name. All these things they do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Again, just more of the same straightforward stuff. If the world knew Christ, if the world knew the Father, they wouldn't persecute his church, but they don't know him. They hate him, so they fight against him. Verses 22 through 24, very much so confusing verses. On the surface, it sounds like, on the surface, we'd say it sounds wrong. Jesus says if he hadn't come and spoken to the world, the world would not be guilty of sin. The picture here is of the Old Testament. The Jews, those who are about to crucify Jesus, they believe in the Old Testament. They believe in a God that they know to be named Yahweh, although at this point in history they've already given up speaking the name. And they know that there is an Old Testament promise that God will send a Savior. He's going to send a Messiah. And so there is a level in which they believe. But when the Messiah comes, they don't receive him. They reject him. They've rejected Jesus. They've rejected the Savior. And so they are now they're now without excuse. The Savior came and they said, no thanks. <laughs> Worse than that, the Savior came and they, they tried to kill him. They picked up stones to throw at him. They pounded nails through his flesh. So before they were not guilty, it's not a complete and total blanket statement saying that they were innocent and would have been saved by their keeping of the law. But before they were God's people, now they're not. Now they're outside. Now they've been cut off from the vine. The word written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. This is Psalm 35, verse 19. Without a cause, Jesus has done nothing wrong. He is perfect. He is blameless. He is without fault. The cause, if you wanted to phrase it that way, with which they hate them is their own flesh, their own sinful desires. That is no cause at all. So verse 26, when the helper comes, whom I will send from the Father, he will bear witness about me. That's the Spirit's job is to point us to Christ. We get asked sometimes why we don't address our prayers to the Holy Spirit. So we might say, Father in heaven, Almighty God, uh, Jesus, Lord, Master, We'll begin prayer in different ways, but you don't normally hear Lutherans begin addressing to the Holy Spirit. We're asked, does that mean we don't really believe in the Holy Spirit? No, not at all. Um, the Holy Spirit's job is to point us to Jesus. So if you're praying to Jesus, it's through faith in the Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit, and the Spirit is simply bringing you to do what the Spirit has been given to give you to do. Bit of a tongue twister there. Hopefully that made sense. Um, and then not only does the Spirit bear witness, but also we will bear witness. 
speaking specifically to the disciples as they've been with him from the beginning. And so they do. The disciples will spend the rest of their lives bearing witness to the work of Jesus and the salvation that comes through him alone. Now, I do want to pick up on, uh, this is the split, verse 26, the split between the Roman Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox Churches back in 1054 is over something called the Filioque Controversy, one of two major points of division. The original Nicene Creed did not say uh, that the Holy Spirit proceeded from the Father and the Son. It said from the Father. And they changed it. The Roman Catholic Church changed it at a church council, uh, adding in and the Son. And the Eastern Orthodox Church got quite upset about this. This is conflict number one. Conflict number two is they couldn't quite agree on who should be the head of the church. Ecumenical Patriarch was the, the title, but also the, the man that they were looking for in the East, whereas the West, Rome, was looking towards the Pope. The filioque controversy is a lot less about the Son sending the Holy Spirit. Here's your biblical proof, right? I will send. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's fine. The real controversy was boiling down to the fact that in that council they had agreed that they would not change the creed. And so they, they went back on that. They not only changed the creed, but they also did it when not everyone was present as the East was not there. So that's a lot of what leads to that split, the first major split in the history of God's church. 